0: The following program is part of the Inner Circle Podcasting Group. Go to InnerCircleComics.com for more high quality podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate now to become a supporter. Hey, I'm Seth Myers from Late Night with Seth Myers, and you're listening to THN with Joe and Matt. Sort of break it, break it down like good. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is my pleasure to welcome you to THN episode 214, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, June 24th, my damn birthday. My name is Matt Baum, at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter, and when I'm not turning 40 years old on national TV, because an intention whore like me wouldn't have it any other way, I'm writing the Comic Speculator blog for WordPoint.com. And I'm Joe
1: Patrick, that's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter, and when I'm not begging my co-host to kiss Channing Tatum and tell
0: him I love him, I'm the manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Dude wasn't even around, it was bullshit. This week, you'll hear our reviews of X-Men 92, number one, and We Are Robin, number one. After that, we'll review ten more of this week's new comics faster than the GOP can roll back their initial reactions to the Supreme Court decisions of the week during the Ludicrous Speed Round. Then. We'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where we're going to have a frank discussion with Captain Confederacy and talk about two of next week's comics. And finally, it's going to get real uncomfortable. Joe and I will review Matt Kintz's complete pistol whip when we play Take a Look. It's in a book. But before we cap the line to kick Mike Huckabee in the crotch, how about a big round of applause for the Supreme Court finally recognizing gay marriage and telling bigots everywhere to f***ing grow up already? And then, we can talk about this week's real big news. Marvel Comics
1: started to reveal the shape of the post-Secret Wars Marvel Universe this week. Though the publisher said that they'd forego the usual practice of daily teasers leading up to a reveal, instead opting to release the information all at once in their all-new, all-different Marvel previews catalog next Wednesday,
0: they <laughs> this ins- Is it seriously the all-new, all-different Marvel previews catalog?
1: Well... <laughs> It's all new, all different Marvel is the
0: name of the initiative. This is too much.
1: They instead released a series of daily teasers leading up to the reveal of their new line. (laughs) Here's the rundown of the titles announced so far. Doctor Strange by Jason Aaron and Chris Boccolo. This will be Strange's first ongoing series since 1996. From Jason Aaron, quote, We wanted a Doctor Strange who was always having to work for what he gets and to show that when he shows up and uses his powers... It's not like Captain America throwing his shield or Thor throwing his hammer. So
0: nobody's throwing anything. Nobody's throwing anything. (laughs) Okay.
1: (laughs) Strange has to worry about repercussions that those other heroes don't have to worry about because he's a sorcerer supreme. We're talking about forces of magic. So whatever he does has
0: repressions, which is... I think it's repercussions. uh,
1: It is, uh, but, you know, typos abound on comic press sites. Unlike when
0: Colossus throws Wolverine. No repercussions.
1: No, absolutely not. Nope. Planet Hulk writer Greg Pak will return to the Jade Giant in a series called Totally Awesome Hulk with art by Frank (laughs) Cho. God, that's dumb. (laughs) With art by Frank Cho. This will feature a new Hulk whose identity is currently shrouded in secret from Pak. Quote, here I am writing the Hulk again, but it's an all new Hulk with a very different new background and motivations. Which is opening up crazy new stories and themes that I'd never imagined before. It's totally in the grand tradition of the Hulk stories I've loved and contributed to for years, but it's also entirely new. This is a huge opportunity and one of those gigs that I simply could not say no to. The new Hulk absolutely loves being the Hulk, and that might create monumental problems for him and all the heroes and villains he comes into contact with, and quote. So let's
0: call it Kid Hulk.
1: Almost certainly Amadeus Cho yeah, is the
0: Hulk. right. The
1: Squadron Supreme returns in a new series from the former Fantastic Four creative team of James Robinson and Leonard Kirk. Except this is not the Squadron as you remember them. This group is made up of refugees from dead universes, like the Hyperion from Hickman's Avengers, Doctor Spectrum from the Great Society, which was also right. in Hickman's Avengers, right. Nighthawk from the Supreme Power Universe, love that dude, <laughs> and Blur. From the new universe's DP-7. It's about time. Yes! Right? The series will feature flashbacks to the past lives of the characters in their home universes, which Kirk will illustrate in different styles that match the characters' previous appearances. Get ready for a throwback DP-7 flashback in the classic style, because we've all been demanding it. Robinson said, quote, In terms of the characters, their attitude is that they've all lost their own worlds and they've got to save this world no matter what. So at times that will put them often at odds with the Avengers. They aren't always going to do the thing that you think is the right thing. And that, quite frankly, as the series goes on, will lead to some of them questioning if they're doing things the right way and others steadfastly believing that they are and that will lead to inner conflicts and everything else.
0: That Jesus. is the clunkiest sentence ever. He talks just like he writes. You are a writer, sir. Come on. That's how he, that <laughs> is the cadence of his dialogue. So this is basically, this is exactly Earth 2, the new Earth 2. Well,
1: sort of. Marvel also announced some changes to returning titles. All new, all different Avengers by Mark Wade and Mahmoud Asrar was confirmed beast will be joining the inhumans <laughs> along
0: with johnny storm <laughs> like up your butt sony and fox <laughs> Fox. <yeah. laughs>
1: kelly DeConnick is stepping away from captain marvel to be replaced by the peggy carter showrunners tara butters and michelle Fazekas. okay chris anka will be on the art i love that dude i do too miles morales returns a new series from bendis and sarah pacelli simply called spider-man This is Miles integrated into the main Marvel universe alongside the adult Peter Parker. Cool. Spider-Gwen will return in her own series by creators Jason Latour and Robbie Rodriguez. Latour later confirmed that Gwen will be back on her own Earth, meaning that the Marvel multiverse will at least sort of survive Secret Wars, as opposed to everything collapsing into one, which is kind of how it might be heading. Maybe. Unless the mini announcements continue, it looks like we'll have to wait until we get our hands on the new Marvel previews on Wednesday before finding out what else all new, all different. Marvel has in store.
0: Matt, what do you think of the new titles so far? All of them sound fun. I mean, there's a couple of weird things. Beast joining Inhumans is kind of strange. I want to see where they go with that because they, the whole theory was, and we don't know if it's true, but the whole theory was the Terrigen cloud is killing mutants, right? Well, Beast is a mutant, so that was the that was a rumor. That was a rumor. So we that might punch a hole in this rumor. Yeah, we don't know. And if that is true, where'd the other X-Men go? I mean, I... Well, they've announced five titles out of 50. Of course, of course. (laughs) Leaving some questions there. Kelly Sue stepping away from Captain Marvel, I assume she's got something huge they're going to announce too then. Yeah, I mean, she's been on that book for a long time. Right, and it's it's great. it's time for her to go, it's time for her to go. But that's also big, which means she's probably getting another big job.
1: I hope so, and I think it's awesome that the uh, Peggy Carter people are going to step in and and, uh, run the book. Hopefully... They can adapt their style to comics. Yeah. I know that's sometimes a challenge for TV writers. Right.
0: Spider-Gwen, I'm a little upset that she's still on her own world. It's just not as interesting to me. I admit it. I don't care about Silk. The character doesn't do anything for me. But Silk is a a great book. The book book is not bad. Yeah. It's well written. I would rather they did that with Spider-Gwen. That's all I'm saying. I'd rather she was there instead of Silk. But yeah, all this sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, The Totally Awesome Hulk, we'll see. (laughs) <laughs> I mean
1: obviously they are they're playing that for a reaction and course, and it will fit the character so the question is where is Bruce Banner? What happened to him? All these books take place 8 months later. Yeah. When Secret Wars is over, it's going to be a time jump.
0: Yeah, cuz they couldn't do 1 year later cuz that was already
1: done. Yeah, yeah, that
0: was <laughs> spoken for. 8 months later.
1: I'm thrilled at the Squadron Supreme getting their own book again. That sounds pretty cool. And I love that creative team. Yeah. Uh, I love the the spin on it on, on them all being refugees and it gives Robinson a chance to play with characters
0: that nobody gives a shit about like Right. The DB seven. So do whatever you want. There's no rules. That's fun. And Doctor Strange. That's huge. That's massive. And Jason Aaron. Perfect for this. Perfect for this. You know, he He, would not have been my first. He wrote Brother Voodoo or Doctor Voodoo. That was Rick Remender. Oh, that was Remender, wasn't it?
1: But Jason Aaron did have a run on Ghost Rider, so he has done supernatural stuff. Yeah. But I just when I when I read Jason Aaron, I was like, oh, really? But I loved I love Jason Aaron. Not worried at all. You know, no, not worried. It was just surprising. But yeah, I think these are all. These all sound great. I am genuinely excited for this stupid catalog to yeah. come, so that I can, so that we can see what else is coming down the pike. Right now, Marvel has made some exciting announcements. I
0: Absolutely, think. and it's time to let's start getting ready to get it together. Because Secret Wars, as fun as it's been, has been a little overwhelming.
1: <laughs> it's been a little <laughs> overwhelming, and I have to admit that I'm kind of as as much as I've enjoyed several of them up to up till this point. I'm starting to lose interest
0: in the glut of tie-ins. I've just started skipping them. It's a lot. In Hollywood news, Marvel Studios announced Tuesday that the impossible actor, Tom Holland. The impossible actor. (laughs) He was in a movie called The Impossible. It's a joke. Has been chosen to play Peter Parker in the 2017 Spider-Man film. In addition, John Watts, director of the upcoming film, cop car is on board. I had to look that up. I guess it's some Kevin Bacon movie. No idea. Both Holland and Watts resumes are fairly short, but Marvel and Sony are confident that they found the right men for the job. Quote, it's a big day here at Sony said Tom Rothman, chairman of Sony pictures, motion pictures group. (laughs) Weird. (laughs) That seems a little department of redundancy department, right? The Marvel process is very thorough and that's why their results are so outstanding. I'm confident. Spider-Man will be no exception. I've worked with a number of up-and-coming directors who have gone on to be superstars and believe that John is just such an outstanding talent. For Spidey himself, we saw many terrific young actors, but Tom's screen tests were special. All in all, we were off to a roaring start. Marvel Studios president Kevin Feige Feige followed up with the quote, As with James Gunn, Joss Whedon, and the Russo brothers, we love finding new and exciting voices to bring these characters to life. We spend a lot of time with John and find his take and work inspiring. Joey, comparing Watts to Joss Whedon is setting the bar pretty damn high. Is this kid going to work or what?
1: Look, man, I don't know. I have never heard of either one of these dudes. You're not pumped for cop car? <laughs> uh, so this guy, John Watts, has directed two films, Cop Car, which comes out in August. I guess. It's a Kevin Bacon movie about... A cop whose uh, squad car gets stolen by joyriding teens. Okay. It looks very serious. All right. And then he directed a movie last year, a horror movie called Clown. No thank you. <laughs> uh, I wasn't aware of that. Now I'm going to go find it. So I don't know. I don't know the dude. Uh, but I do trust Marvel when when the Sony Pictures, Pictures President Pictures guy said... <laughs> Sony motion pictures, department of motion pictures and pictures. You're <laughs> Right. <laughs> that the Marvel process is very thorough. I believe that. I trust that that is the case, that Marvel is so invested in steering these movies and characters yes. in a way that suits their vision, like to the extent that they had a beloved director on board for Ant-Man and then they had to go, mm, We that's not what we want to do. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, well, nobody really knows what happened, but they did make a change and that. ...is ballsy. and That is exactly what happened. Ed Wright came on and said it. Like, he said, Marvel wants to do something different than what I wanted to do, so that's what they're doing. Okay. Well, regardless, I like that they're continuing going with these new guys. They're bringing new voices into Hollywood rather than reaching for some established director who's going to bring his ego on board or whatever. I mean, right. his or her ego on board or absolutely, whatever. Absolutely, absolutely. I think this shows that they want to find the right person for the job and... You know what? Good for these young guys coming up and getting a shot at. Yeah, I think it's great.
1: I saw like uh, the day after the news broke or two days later, there were some videos popped up of this kid, Tom Holland. He, dude, is like an acrobat. Like he's doing, he's just like doing backflips and vaulting off of objects. And he looks like he's 10. He's young. (laughs) They're going for young. He's,
0: I believe, he's 19. He's 19. He looks like he's 10 to 12. But
1: hey, that look, if they want to go for Spider Man at the beginning of his career, there you go. Is what has to happen. Yeah, and they've got to do it. And they also need a dude that 10 years from now is not going to look 50. Right. So... It makes sense. I, I think it's an, a a solid move.
0: They're unknown, so it's a big question mark, but... So this week, we're going to watch Clown and The Impossible.
1: Uh, I'll watch The Impossible. Don't be a you watch Clown. Don't be a baby. I'm not watching scary clown <laughs> movies. It has been officially confirmed as well that Spider-Man will first appear in Captain America Civil War. And... There is a very strong rumor that the door to Spidey's entrance into the MCU will occur in Ant-Man.
0: Hey, they got to sell tickets somehow.
1: Right? Mm. Uh, the news came out that there are two very, very important credit cookies in, in Ant-Man as opposed to like the kind of jokey ones that they've had lately. That they're like, no, these are like for real advancing the plot. I don't want to go into it, it, but I'm a little worried about Ant-Man. I'm not going to it. I'm not worried about You're it. You're not worried. Okay. No. Okay. Finally, Dark Horse Comics have joined Comixology. Once the biggest blind spot in Comixology's offerings, Dark Horse has begun offering their full digital catalog of collections, graphic novels, and manga on the popular service. However, single issues of Dark Horse titles will remain available only on Dark Horse's proprietary platform, Dark Horse Digital. In a statement, Dark Horse president and publisher Mike Richardson said, For the first time, hundreds of Dark Horse graphic novels will be available to Comixology's devoted readers. The technology is stellar and we are pleased that our books will be showcased flawlessly. Matt, having dark horse on comiXology is great and all, but why do you think they're splitting their collections and single issues between different
0: services? It, it seems to me that they want to maintain some control of their dark horse digital. I don't know how well dark horse digital did. Or like, is it actually making money for them, but they feel it's important. Well, I think that they've built it
1: up enough that they don't want to, say goodbye to it and I think if they said
0: okay well I guess everything's available on Comixology now you can probably kiss that Dark Horse digital app goodbye yeah I would I would assume so and I think keeping their you know single issues there they are allowed to control that money it comes straight to them it makes sense yeah and I get it this is all available on the Amazon Kindle store and already
1: that's yeah it seems like that's all they really did it's almost kind of a non-news story because Amazon bought
0: Comixology right and so why wouldn't it be... Right. I think so they can kind of say, hey, kids, you love Comicsology. Look, it's already here because no one's reading it on the Kindle. <laughs> 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 but whatever, it makes it more available and, and that's a good thing. And if it's up in Comicsology, and it gets people reading more, like, graphic novels of Hellboy and BPRD and, you know, others, like, old stuff too, the old alien stuff or whatever, I hope they dump it all on there. They definitely should.
1: And if... You know sales of these graphic novels on Comicsology leads to stronger
0: Single sales for Dark yeah. Horse Then I guess it's good for everybody Then it worked good job Alright That's the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories or everything else we missed, hit us up on the THN forum. Seriously, there were so many announcements today, you'd think that Comic-Con was already happening. I know, right? Where Tom Holland is waiting to take your questions on his secrets of how he maintains his 12-year-old appearance and his little trick of getting rid of crow's feet. You ready for this? Rendered infant fat. Who would have thunk it? Where do you even get infant fat? Well, you gotta kill an infant first, I guess. (laughs) Every Sunday, the impossibly young-looking Joe Patrick posts a question. Don't ask me any questions. It's a secret. (laughs) In the THN forums, Joey, what are we asking the listeners this week? This week's question is the same as last week's question. My fault. I had to go out of town.
1: It's nobody's fault. We chose to postpone it a week.
0: I accept the fault.
1: So you've got extra time to answer... This question, courtesy of Lord Stephen Fino, to TJ and and I was
0: was paraded through Omaha, whipping myself with someone going shame behind me. Spoilers.
1: (laughs) What is your favorite story of a character being outed as a superhero, either choosing to do so willingly, like Spider-Man did in Civil War, or having it done without their consent, like in the recent Superman storyline? You have until 5 p.m. this coming Friday, July 3rd, to get us your answer. You can call and leave a message using Skype. The handle is 2 nerd, all one word. Or call the Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894. If you're feeling fancy, you can send an MP3 to 2 nerd at gmail.com. But whatever you do, keep it under two minutes, please. We have a lot of callers. We've got to share the air. And we are not afraid of cutting you fools off. If you need more time than that, feel free to write your full answer in the Question of the Week section of the THN Web Forums. And then tune in next Thursday to hear you and your fellow listeners On the THN Answer of the Week podcast. It's the gitchiest. It's the best show on the internet, even better than
0: this show. It's true. It's true. You hate this show? Check out the other
1: one. it's review time on THN, where Matt and I denounce two of this week's comics that endanger the very fabric of our democracy. Matt, what treasonous comic did you choose to review
0: this week? I picked We Are Robin. Number one, from DC, written by Lee Bromejo, with art by Jorge Corona, although... There is credits for Rob Haynes and Kerry Randolph as well. I'm just not sure what they did. Really? Because yeah. in the book, it just said layouts by Rob Haynes. I didn't say Carrie Randolph's name yeah, at all. Yeah, his name was on the DC site and stuff. So I don't know if that's just a misprint or what. The book was pretty seamless. The art seemed to carry through in, the whole the, time. In the book, I believe it's credited layouts by Rob Haynes, art by Jorge Corral. That is true. That is true. 32 pages for $3.99. We Are Robin was one of my most anticipated Sublime 49 comics. Artist Lee Bermejo has come out of his shell recently writing his first series, Suiciders for DC Vertigo, a comic that I gave a buy it. And here he's tackling his second monthly series that tells the story of a group of Gotham's youngsters that have adopted the Robin R and taken to the streets to dole out some underage justice. The best kind. (laughs) Yeah, pervert. Bermejo's central character. That that came off really creepy. Yeah, right? (laughs) Bromejo's central character is a young black troublemaker that spent some time in in the foster system since his mother and father became victims of the Joker toxin that turned some of Gotham citizens into laughing Joker zombies during the Joker Endgame storyline. So, yes, the story spins directly out of Batman. But I did notice we meet a new and de-aged version of Dr. Leslie Tompkins, who appears to be a social worker. Yeah, that happened. Yeah, that she's... She was introduced a while ago. She was. Okay, because I couldn't remember if they touched on that or yeah, not. Yeah, I don't know what book. Like, maybe one of the one of the books we don't read regularly, like Detective or okay, she's one a, of those. Okay, she's apparently no longer a medical doctor. She's some type of doctor. I don't know, doctor of sociology or something. I don't know. Who knows? Romeo has a great premise here that could lead to a compelling storyline, but he does have a, some issues writing a believable teen as his main character. I get that he's intelligent, but having him reference Tarantino's film's 70s influences... Comes off as a little much for me. <laughs> you know, I disagree. I, I think, think that 15-year-old
1: kid is talking like that. I have known teens that were very tuned into pop culture in that
0: way, that I mean, were Dan, too cool for school, right? There's Danny that calls us on like the THM. Sure. Oh, Wait, he blows my mind every yeah, time. <laughs>
1: yeah, if you look back to uh, books like Brian K. Vaughn's Runaways, in the first issue of Runaways, uh, Nico and Alex are going on and on about The Prisoner. Uh, the old 60s series, The Prisoner. And like, I found that a little... Eh, no, I mean, I, I think know. that there are smart kids out there or at least kids that are tuned into to pop culture in a way that goes beyond the... I like Taylor Swift and whoever else is oh, popular. Oh, no, and
0: days. I'm just saying there's other ways to do that without reaching to stuff that we obviously grew up with at, an, you know, being older. Disagree! <laughs> anyway. Move on. Corona's style is as far from Bermejo's as it could be, and he does a great job giving the comic the youthful martial arts feel we've come to expect from a Robin title. He has a very cartoonish style that reminds me of Humberto Ramos. We didn't get as much as I was hoping for here, but I understand the need to use one character to take us into the world of Gotham's new Robins, and I'm looking forward to it. Every real Batman fan has a favorite Robin. Dick Grayson was the best gymnast and fighter. Jason Todd was a cocky and tragic figure whose death probably should have never been retconned. Tim Drake was the best detective and my personal favorite. Tim Drake should be everyone's favorite Robin, but whatever. Stephanie Brown wasn't Robin long enough to leave much of an impression, which is too bad because I really like her as a character. And Damien, the son of Bruce, now has his own title. And Joe and I both loved the first issue. That is true. Here it seems we are going to be getting a team of Robins, each bringing different skills and personalities to the team. And I'm excited to read about them when we finally meet them. What this actually means for Damien sort of remains to be seen because it does look like they are going to be interacting with Batman. Well... I don't know how. Okay,
1: so slight spoilers. It has become clear in the first issue that they are not simply a gang of kids. No. They are organized in a way and uh, supplied in a way that implies a larger agenda. And Batman is aware of them. Where did you get that?
0: When he sits down and looks at the viewer and says, in the Batcave and says... Gotham's been evolving several for years now. I shouldn't be shocked at this new group of. Is it Batman? I assume so. It looked like it. I mean, maybe it's not. Maybe that's the mystery. That's the thing. Because like Batman, which Batman, Commissioner Gordon? I don't know. Yeah, right. So maybe it's Alfred. Well, bat whoever seems to be aware. (laughs) Sure. Uh,
1: See, and I don't think necessarily these kids can say that they're Robin all day long. It doesn't actually make them Robin. That's true. You know what I'm saying? Yeah,
0: fair enough. And Damien will murder them all anyway. Yeah, so. sure. <laughs> or his bat monster will eat them. One of the two. <laughs> yes. Regardless, I'm giving this a buy it.
1: I liked it too. It, you know, Lieber Mayho, when artists become writers, it's always kind of a mixed bag. You never know what you're going to get. But I think he does a great job. Yeah. I love the idea that these put upon children that have just been through in their
0: already short lives have already been through so much. In Gotham City. Well, why anyone lives there seems to be a mystery. (laughs) Yeah, I know. I'd say nuke it from orbit and call it good. (laughs) Right.
1: (laughs) And so the idea that... The only way to be sure. (laughs) These kids would... would, These disenfranchised kids would have an interest in kind of taking back the streets as an outlet, you know, for their frustration. I think it's a really compelling idea. It's cool. And Duke uh, was introduced in the pages of Batman, and there was always the promise that he was going to be... Uh, Something big in the Batman mythos, they did a couple of flash forward stories where Duke becomes Robin. Duke becomes like the Robin uh, in a couple of flash forward stories that were in Snyder's Batman. Of course, you mean Black Robin. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) We got
0: to identify him. Yeah, right. We have Red Robin, Black Robin.
1: (laughs) That's just where we're going to probably just end it right there. But I liked it. I thought it was great. The art is different. It's not what I was expecting. But I think it is very good. You don't call Damien White Robin. <laughs> There's a White Robin? <laughs> anyway, we need to punch out before we get into trouble. I'm giving it a bite as well. I thought it was great. And I'm excited to see what's going on with their mystery supplier, whether or not it's Bruce Wayne or Alfred or somebody completely different, or yeah. maybe it's
0: a villain. Who knows? Who knows? Those are all C Lab references, by the way. Look it up. Yeah, look
1: it up. Joey, tell me about X Men 92. X-Men 92 number one came from Marvel Comics written by Chris Sims and Chad Bowers. Art is by Scott Koblish. It's 40 pages. It's four ninety nine. I did feel like this took a long time to read. <laughs> it took forever to read. Yeah. Here's your solicit. Everyone's favorite version of the X-Men from the 90s is back when Baron Kelly charges the Clear Mountain Project and its mysterious new director with, quote unquote, mutant rehabilitation. It's up to the X-Men to investigate. Plus, free-range sentinels? I'll
0: only eat eggs from free-range sentinels. It's just <laughs> the right way to do it.
1: <laughs> they didn't really carry X-Books at the quick shop where I bought my comics growing up. That's where I
0: stole mine from.
1: Yeah. Shop so, of one of the very first X-Men comics I ever read was X-Men number 1 by Chris Claremont and Jim Lee in 1991. Still the record holder for highest-selling single comic book of all time. It's true. Like everyone else jumping in at the time, I was instantly hooked and the Fox cartoon that followed soon after cemented my love completely. X-Men 92 was originally serialized online as one of Marvel's Infinite Comics, which I did not know when it was announced. But I looked back and apparently that was always the plan. This print version contains the first two chapters of the digital first story, hence the hefty page count and price tag. Bowers and Sims certainly have a firm grasp of what made the 90s cartoon so very, very 90s, And they don't shy away from making X-Men 92 as extreme as possible. The Danger Room is under construction, so the team is training at a local laser tag arena.
0: Why not? Or something, I don't know.
1: Senator Kelly is the Baron of Westchester, so naturally he rides around on a flying chariot and wears a cape over his business suit. Why not? Toad challenges the Bob to a basketball game while Wolverine and Sabretooth hug it out. Why not? Really? Why not? Should have been the only line written in the solicit. X Men '92 by Chris Sims and Chad Bowers. Hey, why, why not? not? <laughs> Three ninety nine, four ninety nine, <laughs> f- five ninety nine. Yeah, why not? Why, why not? <laughs> the comic script mimics the way the show packed everything into twenty two minute chunks. It is super fucking wordy. Oh yeah. But there's a lot going on and at least a dozen characters, so I guess that's to be expected. However, one of the first things I did notice about the dialogue was that Matt was going to hate it because it's <laughs> packed full of every awful sugar and mon cher that Matt has railed against. Ooh. There are also some very odd moments that are never explained where bits of dialogue are censored. By some kind of omniscient presence. I wasn't sure if it was like
0: a mistake. I don't think that's (laughs) how editors work. They don't draw in big marker on top of the comic page. I don't know.
1: I suppose it could have been some sort of meta commentary on television standards and practices, but it only happens twice at the very end of the issue, and it's never referenced beyond that. Yeah. Scott Koblish's art perfectly suits the needs of the story and the style of the time period, This is a very busy comic, and Koblish packs every page full of characters and background detail, and it never felt too cluttered. I mean, I'm not in love with his style or anything, but he does a good job. It's very serviceable.
0: And it is very much in the style of the cartoon. Like, it looks like they took stills from the cartoon and brought it to the comic.
1: I was talking about the book with my pal, R.C., who works with me at Legend. He compared X-Men 92 to the comic book version of Cotton Candy, and he's exactly right. This is nothing but empty calories. I would call it nude food. It's nude food. <laughs> I had fun reading it, but it's not really a fulfilling experience. It certainly isn't bad, but at five bucks an issue, it should do more than
0: trigger some fond nostalgia to merit more than a skim it. I, I'm right with you. I like. I just don't even have much to say. I, I love that X-Men cartoon in the 90s, but I love it in the 90s, and I love revisiting it And going, oh, man, I remember watching this. Weren't we idiots? Yeah, like, (laughs) cartoons were stupid back then. (laughs) Like The way they told the Phoenix Saga was embarrassing.
1: Well, but you know, that is actually something I did appreciate about this comic is that it's full of characters and references to the actual X-Men, but they're skewed in a way just like, look, it's the Dark Phoenix Saga. Mm, Sort of. Yeah. It's the cartoon version of the Dark Phoenix
0: Saga. Right.
1: So there are cartoon versions of certain characters that you know as a comic fan are not accurate. No. But their origins are skewed for the purposes of this
0: particular universe. And I, think, and I thought that was kind of clever. I think Sims and Bowers definitely did their homework. Oh, I don't even think they needed to and do I their homework. They put a lot of work into this. And I feel bad giving it a skim it, but like, I just, I really felt nothing.
1: Right, right. And that's just it. It's not
0: bad at all. No, but it, I, it's just unnecessary. I
1: have not <laughs> felt a desire to go back and revisit that particular version of the X-Men since I left it behind.
0: Right. Because we grew up
1: and it's not that I didn't love it and it's not that I didn't appreciate it, but it's a product of its time and it probably should have stayed there.
0: I have a question. Yeah. Why the fuck would Dr. Doom create this version of the (laughs) X-Men? I find myself asking that more and more. You're right.
1: So as I'm reading, as I'm reading more of, of Secret Wars and, and more about it, yeah, it seems like Doctor Doom kind of threw this world together with whatever he could find, like I, whatever was left of the dying multiverse. I guess. So it's not like he created these worlds; it's they existed, and he brought them together. He
0: just kind of grabbed it and was like, oh, too late! All right, it's, it's in." Like
1: he, he cast a wide net and he reeled in whatever he could. I guess. Which explains why there is an Earth populated by a
0: boozy World War II pilot. I suppose.
1: (laughs) So that is a double buy it for We Are Robin and a double skim it for X-Men 92. As always, we want to know what you underage vigilantes and children of the atomic 90s thought of these comics. So psionically massage us with your opinions, or better yet, I think it was message. Yeah, I know, but I think I, oh, I would okay. rather have a psionic okay. massage. All right, hit us up at the THN forums, which you can find by clicking the forum button at twoheadednerd.com. It it's the, right
0: there. It says forum for the psionically impaired. For the psionically impaired. Supreme Court finally sacked up and legalized gay marriage this week. Just over half of the Supreme Court finally sacked up, (laughs) followed by a shitstorm of religious chest pounding by the GOP, who seem to have forgotten we're not too far from a presidential election. Seeking to save what few votes they'll have in the next general election, it seems the ever growing GOP presidential hopefuls have pooled their campaign finances and paid Ultraman to fly around the Earth, reversing its rotation and turning back time using very complicated Richard Donner Superman physics to change their positions. Little do they know. Joe and I have blackmailed Ultraman with photos of him and Owlman in some. Adult situations. So join us now as we watch him botch the job while we review ten more of this week's new comics during the ludicrous
1: speed round. I'm glad that Owl Man and Ultraman can finally celebrate their love yeah, like the rest come of us. On boys,
0: you know I, I'm excited for the wedding. It's gonna be beautiful. Ludicrous speed, go! Superman, 41 from DC. American-born
1: Chinese writer Gene Luen Yang joins John Romita Jr. and Klaus Janson to finally bring us the reason why Superman's identity was revealed to the world, except they don't actually get around to it this issue. <laughs> I'm fine with letting the story unfold. I really just wanted to see how Yang handled himself in the big two superhero arena. I'm happy to say I thought he did a great job. He handles action sequences well, and he's got a firm grasp of the characters. I think he'll be a good fit here. I'm giving it a buy it. He is for Extinction, number one from Marvel. Chris Burnham
0: and Ramon Villalobos are doing their best Grant Morrison impersonation, Grant Morrison and Frank Quietly impersonations, writing this Battleworld story of Morrison's new X-Men in the future on Battleworld or something. Why the hell would Doom create this many alternative X-Worlds? <laughs> There's a lot of it's them. Seems strange. Do you at know best. how many what ifs dealt with the X Men? No, this seems strange at best, featuring some of the X Men, Mutant Academy characters as Magneto's team of thugs making fun of an aging Cyclops who now has some bonkers powers, including hypnotism. What? I felt exactly the same way about this that you, we both felt about X Men '92. I can only give it a skimmit. It. We really don't need this one. Mm-hmm. Green Lantern: The Lost Army, number one from DC. Cullen Bunn
1: teams with the superb Jesus Sayez for the story of the Green Lantern Corps literally lost in space. I love the premise. I love the focus on a relatively small group of lanterns. And I love, love, love the art. This was a lot of fun. And I'm happy to have something to enjoy from Cullen Bunn at DC. Hey. Buy it.
0: Flash 41 from DC. Writer Robert Venditti and artist Brett Booth continue their Flash storyline about the slow return of Professor Zoom and I'm finding it a bit hard to care. There were a lot of Jim Lee wannabes that came out of the 90s and you could argue that booth is absolutely one, but I love his art and he really does a great job making The Flash look fast as hell. I just feel like I've read this story before and I liked it better when Johns wrote it. I'm giving it a it. I am... This is the first appearance of Professor Zoom. Yeah, but they've been alluding to it for months now. Have you been reading The Flash? Yeah.
1: Huh. Uh... I'm glad that they actually brought back Professor Zoom as opposed to like this weird version of the reverse flash they had, which was Iris's brother or something.
0: Yeah, it just seems like there's been a lot of this, whether it's Professor Zoom or Iris's brother or whatever.
1: And they're doing their damnedest to make it a mirror image of the TV show, which I suppose makes sense. I guess. Venture number one from Action Lab. Venture is a comic that came out like a thousand years ago from Jay Farber and Jamal Igle about a slimy reporter that stumbles upon the identity of a Superman in hiding. I liked it then, and was sad when it ended after just four issues. Now it's back through Action Lab, and it was just as fun as I remembered. I love Farber, and Igles' art was great even 13 years ago when this was first published. Yeah, this is a reprint. The hope is that Venture is able to attract a new audience that allows the title to continue, with that in mind, I'm giving this a qualified buy-it. Because if you've never read it, it's right. new to you. And
0: we're both Jay Farber fans. So Absolutely.
1: The Shadow, number 100, from Dynamite.
0: Francesco Francovia proves he's probably the only person that should be writing and drawing a monthly Shadow comic in this double-sized issue featuring stories by Victor Gishler, Howard Chakin Michael Uslan, and Matt Wagner. Like I said, the first story was pretty to look at and well-written, And it traveled through all the other stories, but it was really the only one I kind of enjoyed. $7.99 is a lot to ask for this one. I have to give it a leave it. Was that creative team, really? Yeah, I mean, it's like a high price and just, I don't know, it didn't feel like you got much. Sure. Ant-Man Larger Than Life One-Shot from Marvel.
1: This is a curious little one-shot tying into the upcoming movie. It's a prequel starring Hank Pym as he perfects his size-changing gear. The lead story is very slight, but the book is packed with some neat reprints. You get the first appearance of Hank Pym, which is pre-hero; it's it predates the Fantastic Four, and his first outing as Ant-Man, which came years later. It was cute, ultimately unnecessary. I'm giving it a skim. It like it's fun, and it was only four bucks for
0: something that's sure a lot of reprints. For the record, when you say something is ultimately unnecessary, you're saying we don't need this.
1: I'm saying ha. <laughs> I'm not questioning its right to exist. I'm saying that you're not going to miss out on anything if you skip it. Oh, sure, sure, that's fine. I'm not saying
0: the same thing. The Korvac Saga, number one from Marvel. This Battleworld tie-in sees Lord Michael Korvac and his team of Guardians, who happen to be the old-school Guardians of the Galaxy, getting ready for a meeting with Lord Simon Williams of the neighboring holy wood kingdom get it holy (laughs) wood who rolls in with his team of west coast avengers both kingdoms are dealing with a madness spreading through the populace who just now seem to be noticing that there are no stars in the night sky dan abnett writes this one and while it's fun i can see it falling through the cracks amongst the other secret wars tie-ins pretty fast giving it a skim mulan revelations number one from dark horse Mark Andrego brings us a tale about a
1: Mulan, not that Mulan, I was confused too. I still am. That may or may not be reincarnated from an ancient Chinese heroine to fight a technological virus in a far future world. Maybe? <laughs> the story was bonkers, but the digitally painted art by Micah Kanashiro was amazing. It's gorgeous. Strong skim it. Evil Dead 2, Beyond Dead by Dawn, number one, from Space
0: Goat Productions. Apparently Dynamite has given up milking the Evil Dead franchise and handed it over to Space Goat Productions. Here, we get the story of the daughter of the man who originally transcribed the Necronomicon. This might spin out of something I've never seen or heard of. And the foreword certainly didn't help bring me up to speed. We see the heroine pulled into hell along with the cabin from Evil Dead 2, where she has grown worthy dialogue like, Bring it, biatches! Yelling at demons, which seems pretty confident for any girl in hell for her first time. This is not where I needed the Evil Dead mythos to go. I don't get it, and I'm giving it a leave it. (laughs) That is your ludicrous speed round, and (laughs) It's a sound made by an exhausted Matt Bomb when he realized he left his iPad on the plane and wouldn't be able to come up with a sound effect for this outro. Now, hit us with your curse word laden opinions of these comics over in the this week's comic section of the THN. In the wake of the South
1: Carolina legislature voting to join the rest of the United States in Finally, admitting that slavery was wrong and taking down the Confederate flag from their Capitol building. Matt and I discovered a drunk and sobbing Captain Confederacy at a local bar feeding dollars into the digital jukebox, slamming shots of wild turkey, and playing Skinnard's give me back my bullets ad nauseum. Matt and I got him out of there and he's sleeping comfortably on the couch in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum. Matt, while this moron sleeps it off, What do you say we talk about what we're excited to read next week?
0: There's a serious stink coming off this guy, too. Jesus. Next week, I'm excited for Grant Morrison's 18 Days, number one, from Graphic India. Because, why not? (laughs) Written by Grant Morrison, with art by Javan King. It's 32 pages. It costs a dollar. Shame on your comic store if they didn't order this. Here is your solicit. From legendary creator Grant Morrison, whose name is in the title, so it's hard to miss, All-Star Superman and Batman Robin and the Invisibles, you know all that, comes the first chapter in his newest creation. 18 Days is the story of three generations of super warriors meeting for the final battle of their age, a climactic war that concludes the age of gods and begins the age of man. Quote, This is not a Lord of the Rings or Star Wars where the good guys win because they're right. The good guys in 18 Days are forced to cheat and lie and break rules to win, although it has a fantastic mythic trappings. This is a very modern story of real politique and the failure of ideals in the face of harsh truth, said Grant Morrison. I have no idea what this is. I don't know what graphic India is. So
1: there was a graphic novel put out called 18 Days by Grant Morrison. Are they
0: just serializing the graphic novel? I don't know. I honestly I don't know I could not find any information saying this is a reprint or it spins out of that I don't know and I missed the graphic novel you can't seem to find it anymore so I'm curious okay there you go being curious never hurt some people curiosity killed the cat Joe Patrick yeah or was it By Curiosity that killed the cat? I can't remember. It's the name of my forthcoming record, by the way. By Curiosity <laughs> killed the cat. <laughs> Joe Patrick, what are
1: you excited for next week? Next week, I can't wait to read We Stand on Guard, number one from Image Comics, written by Brian K. Vaughn, with art by everyone's favorite guy that's disappeared 20 years ago, Steve Scross I love him. I love that guy. Get ready for a lot of oh, capitalization. You Here's your solicit. Off, Saga writer Brian teams with artistic legend and Matrix storyboard artist Steve Scrooge for an action-packed do you think it's Scrochy like Jim Croach? I don't know for an action-packed military thriller that will have everyone talking 100 years from now a heroic band of Canadian civilians must defend their homeland from invasion dot 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 by the United States of America what? The hyper-detailed combat between badass freedom fighters and giant f***ing robots begins with a spectacular 40-page first issue for the regular price of just two ninety
0: nine. We stand on guard, by the way. It comes right out of O Canada. We learned something. We all learned something. O oh. oh Canada, we stand on guard for thee. If you watch any hockey, you would know that. This sounds awesome. Yes. Uh, this sounds totally awesome. So this is one of the projects,
1: one of the Brian K. Vaughn projects announced at uh, one of the Image Expos. Been really
0: excited about it. It's finally coming out. Thumbs up. What was the John Candy movie where they're going to invade Canada? Canadian Bacon? Yeah, I believe that's right. <laughs> this is like Canadian Bacon with giant robots. I couldn't be. It sells itself. <laughs> the T H N Trade of the Week goes to the king-size Kirby slipcase hardcover, from Marvel Comics, folks. It's 816 pages for the low, low price of two hundred dollars. Eight hundred and sixteen pages. I don't even know what that looks like. It's gotta be like printed like the Gutenberg yeah, it's Bible. It's to be like a Gutenberg Bible. Like you need a big wooden a lectern. <laughs> yeah, lectern to read a this on. Hail to the king! Celebrate, Jack. King Kirby's incredible contribution to Marvel's history in this decade-spanning adamantium-sized collection. What is that adamantium size? They have done another. They did
1: Wolverine, the adamantium edition. It's just like their name for the The big big
0: oversized, chunky crap. Westerns, romance, war, horror, sci-fi, humor, and superheroes. Jack Kirby was a master of it all. From Captain America socking Hitler to Devil Devil Dinosaur uh, and the Eternal's far-out adventures, savor Kirby's work on his legendary creations, including the Hulk, Thor, the Avengers, X-Men, Fantastic Four, and Inhumans. I'm not even going to go into what this collects because it collects everything.
1: It it touches everything Kirby worked on from old-ass romance stories, weird golden age superheroes that you've never heard of, Cap, and then all the greatest hits like Captain America One, Fantastic Four Number One, Thor, Spider Man, Nick Fury. It's gigantic, eight hundred pages. I'm
0: throwing away all my Marvel uh, Kirby hardcovers and buying this. This sounds so cool. It even
1: reprints an issue of What If from 1977.
0: What If Number Eleven from 1977 was, what if the original Marvel bullpen had become the Fantastic Four? Oh, God, right. It's real-life clobbering time! Yes! <laughs> That's a classic.
1: I'd pay 200 bucks for a reprint of that. Oh, yeah, man. No <laughs> one When he wakes up, no doubt, with a wicked hangover, Matt and I are going to discuss a new name and costume with Cap Confederacy, who might be so drunk he doesn't realize he's from a different timeline or the South won the Civil War. In the meantime, slam a shot of Basil Hayden's best and head over to the THN forums and tell us what you're excited to read next week. A look, a look,
0: a look, a Once a month, we set the floppies aside to tackle a book with more than 20 to 32 pages in a
1: segment we call... Well, it's 20 pages if you don't count the ads.
0: All right, all right, all right. In a segment we call, Take a Look, It's in a Book. This month, we're taking a look at the complete Pistol Whip hardcover from Dark Horse by Jason Hall and Matt Kent.
1: This is a 336-page hardcover for $27.99, collecting the original Pistol Whip graphic novel, their follow-up, The Yellow Menace, the short story Mephisto and the Empty Box, and more. Here's your solicit from the original Pistol Whip story from way back when, like, 2001 or 2002 something like or
0: something that. crazy it
1: may have been like 1999. No, nah, oh. it was very early 2000s, yeah. I believe Matt Kent was 6 when he <laughs> <we got this. laughs> A naive bellhop struggle toward a life's ambition, an expatriate musician on the run, a young woman's battle with her paranoia and her past, and the mysterious figure who wants to control their lives, set in an exotic atmosphere of a bygone era. Pistol Whip is a marvelous tale crafted with a crime noir feel. In an artistic style reminiscent of the best European graphic novels.
0: Which makes it sound like American graphic novels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mirror garbage.
1: Matt, is this the first time you've read Pistol Whip? It's
0: not. I bought the oversized, and I don't even know if it was collected and there were floppy issues out there. That could have been, but I bought the oversized No, they it was a graphic novel. Okay. I bought the first oversized graphic novel that had like the radio yeah. on the cover years and years and years ago. Yep. And I read it and I was mesmerized by it because the, just the art, which, if you've read Mind Management or you read the fill in issues he did on Sweet Tooth, then you know Matt Kent's art style. Oh, yeah. It's strange to say the least. It's and deceptively simple. Yes, to the untrained eye, it's deceptively simple. But I was mesmerized by the story because it was so gently written and odd. And spacious. He left all these questions in almost every panel as to what was going on. Like, there was elements of the supernatural. There was elements of crime noir. There was elements of pure imaginary paranoid terror. Like, it was really hard to tell what was real and what was not. Yeah. Because it was told through several different characters. And after reading it, I was just like, man, that is such an odd little book. And I forgot about it. And then years later, we got the follow-up, The Yellow Menace, which seemed to be a story about a golden age comic book character, sort of a spy smasher.
1: A radio serial character. A, a pulp he,
0: character uh, of some
1: kind. He was, he was, he, he was kind of a pop culture phenomenon. He had movies, he had comic book, he had yeah. radio.
0: And his name was Jack, uh, Peril. Jack Peril, and he ran around with Kid Peril, a very Captain America and Bucky yeah. sort of type character. And he doled out Justice with his forty-five caliber punches. You know, he was just a badass, right? And he was fighting the Yellow Menace, which was obviously this World War II Asian Fu Manchu Mandarin type character. But as you read the story, it's hard to figure out whether or not Jack Peril and the Yellow Menace are real or not. It, it's told gently through the eyes of this bellhop turned fake detective named Pistol Whip, basically, yeah. is what he's calling himself. Mitch, Mitch Pistol Whip is his name. And I read them so far apart in years that I kind of forgot that it was tied to the first Pistol Whip series so closely.
1: Right. Well, I would say that the Yellow Menace, while it does feature some of the same characters, It, it it's not necessarily tied to that
0: it definitely exists story in it the exi- same character. Well, arc.
1: Certainly it's part of that world and right. there's references to it. Yeah. I, I never actually got around to reading the yellow menace when it came out. I, I, I'm sure I had it and I just,
0: <laughs> I just never got around Again, to reading it. It was oversized and it was beautiful. Yeah. Really cool. And though the one shot, the Mephisto box, I love that story. It happened in between. It That's my favorite of all In of between them. both stories and it sort of bridges. You don't realize it when reading it
1: in the in the complete edition. It is listed first. It's it's printed first in the complete edition, uh, which I think means chronologically it occurred before.
0: I believe so. But it was released after yes. in between the it two was, volumes. It was released in between the two volumes, and I think maybe they did that because it does a nice little job of bridging the gap in between these two stories and introducing this very supernatural aspect to the story. There's so many levels that you can read this on and reading them all together for the first time in years and years and years. I really came to the real, I realized how amazing this narrative is and how cool it is all together in one. It sort of bends reality and looks into like the history of comics, the history of pulp and radio, crime fiction, superhero fiction. And, Turns everything on its head. Like, you don't know if you are taken on this journey as this bellboy living in this fantasy world that he is creating or it's actually happening to him. Mm. And the lines really get blurred. And there is no, I, I don't want to say it didn't end well because it did end very well, but there is no definite spelling out of anything in the end.
1: Well, see, You don't uh, know. The way I read it is that it's, it, it's clear that these events are actually occurring. Is it? Yeah, <laughs> because there are so many other characters involved.
0: I understand that, but you're also kind of getting the whole story through this detective trying to put it together, and we don't know how much he's fabricating, and we don't know how much is in his head. But it's not told from his perspective. Not
1: it, always. He's not narrating it. So the way I read it is that These events do actually occur. It's just that they're not fully understood. Right. In The Yellow Menace, there is a guy running around pretending to be or claiming to be Jack Peril in real life. Right. And at first you think, could this all be in Mitch Pistol Whip's head? And then he interacts with other people. And it's like, oh, no, it's actually happening. This guy's just crazy. And then through the course of the book, you find out who he is and what happened to him. And it's very tragic and and, and uh, heartbreaking. It, it's told in a way that you know, it, it's not very linear. It, it's in and out of certain time periods and then it'll flash back to the past or suddenly you'll get an entire chapter devoted to Charlie Minx, the femme fatale character and her connection to the mastermind from the first book and, right. and how that's impacting her in the second book.
0: The narrative here is very similar to the narrative that Lemire and Kent used in Sweet Tooth, where it jumped around, you got past, present, and future, sometimes all in the same book, and you really had to pay attention to follow. Mind management is also a very similar narrative, where he's just not paying attention to modern storytelling as we know it. He's bending things, and and he's working with a lot of different themes, and he's sort of using Mitch Pistol Whip as the naive kid that was surrounded by all these fantastic stories to show us the true tragic stories that were actually behind them where all this stuff came out of. And it, it is truly an amazing book that was so far ahead of its oh, time. Oh yeah. I love it. Artistically speaking, uh, this is a very
1: uh, much younger Matt Kent. Yes. And so his art is even if it, if you can imagine it, it's even simpler. Right. Seemingly. Than it is now, Uh, but the layouts of the book are credited to his partner, Jason Hall.
0: And they're incredible.
1: And huge props to him because they are, you know, a lot of like fisheye, you know, kind of curving of of things and weird perspective tricks. Like he did an amazing job making a book with a lot of talking, a lot of plain characters. And when we say supernatural, we don't mean in any kind of like weird, flashy way. very not at all plain suggested
0: <laughs> right it's, it's like all both. very
1: plain looking stuff and it he makes it look really exciting and right.
0: interesting it reads like a david lynch film it, it really does kind of it reads like uh, like a twin peaks almost where it's just everything is slightly off kilter and a little soft focus and you don't necessarily know what's real and what's fake and you're not always sure i will who say you can trust i will say that there's a a, there's
1: also there's certainly not a pat ending no in the sense that Even if everything actually happened, if even everything the characters experienced actually happened in the book, you never find out why and you never find out who's behind it. Right. And you think maybe, you know, or you think maybe there's a resolution, but of course you find out that there isn't. And so the book leaves all sorts of lingering questions like, what did I just read? And is it ever going to get
0: resolved? Punches these holes in these very simple, traditional pulp crime noir uh, magic spy smasher stories or whatever from back in the day. It just sort of smashes all that. It just destroys it. Right, man.
1: And the there's a ton of back matter, uh, with Jason Hall uh, kind of walking you through all of the promotional material they created for the original Pistol Whip and all of the weird little handmade knickknacks that they did yeah. and sent out to retailers. It and, was really and to conventions. genius,
0: like guerrilla marketing type stuff.
1: And yeah, in the style of. 1940s radio and movie advertisements very cool uh it, it's really wonderful it's uh, there was a they did a little mini comic that they handed out at conventions that was a kind of a play on uh, scott mcleod's understanding comics and it's called understanding pistol whip <laughs> and it, it was pages of nine panel grid of them explaining, well, Pistol Whip is this and blah, blah, blah. And here's how it works and really great
0: stuff. And it's thick with that back matter. Yeah. The book itself, absolutely beautiful and very, very affordable. 28 bucks yeah. for a 340 page hardcover. Yeah. It's a, it's a very good buy. There's no excuse, no and excuse not to pick this up.
1: It's, and yeah, obviously an absolute buy it. I can't stress enough that short story, Mephisto in the Empty Box, it's my favorite part of the book. It's amazing. And, it's so heartbreaking and yeah. so tragic. Huge buy-it from me. Have you read Pistol Whip? Do you think we're way off base, right on the money, or possibly you read the wrong book entirely? Which, let's be honest. That could be, yeah. Could, could happen. have happened. Let us know over at the take-a-look section of the THN forums where you can share your opinion on this graphic novel or any that you're reading, and suggest some for us too. Like yeah. we're always uh, we're always scrambling for a yeah. new one. Yeah, what are you guys into? We want to know. Next month. Matt and I aren't sure what we're going to be reading. We want to read a manga.
0: It's up to you guys, manga nerds. We don't know anything about it.
1: We need somebody to send us a recommendation for something current that is just getting started that
0: we can actually find. That we can jump on board and review. You can go to the forums. You can post it in the Take a Look forums. You can email us, tweet at us. But we need you guys. Bonus points if you have a physical copy that you can loan us. (laughs) This is unknown territory for us. Cause we dummies. Yeah. We manga dummies. We are wading into the waters of manga. Sort, of,
1: sort of break it, break it down like this.
0: And that is it for the fascist <laughs> episode of THN. Whether you're celebrating or planning your secession, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes Stitcher or tune in. And while you're there, leave us your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, and your little hearts, cause kids, it helps us to connect with other potential listeners.
1: Thank you to all of
0: our donors. And if
1: you want to help fund our gay divorce, you can do so by clicking our PayPal button at two at And if you want to become a sustaining member, it's as easy as clicking the make this donation monthly box. And as little as a dollar a month really does help. If you want to sponsor THN, shoot us an email with the subject line sponsorship.
0: And while you're there, you can find links to all of our contact info via Twitter, YouTube, Tumblr, Facebook, Skype, and the ziggurat hotline that's a lot of places you can get a hold of us all over the place baby 402-819-4894 do not forget to go sign up for the forums we talk about them all the time and we do it because they're awesome it's your little virtual piece of the ziggurat where you can discuss this week's show you can ask us to review your self-published comics you can learn more about our segments and how you nerds can be a part of them or buddy you can just rap about comics and hey
1: I know we don't talk about it so much anymore, but there's some new content at 2 Oh, really? Ryan Mount is on the road posting his reports from America. From America? Yeah, from all over America. He's just wandering like Kane from Kung Fu? Yeah,
0: cool. Yeah, it's pretty rad. He's solving problems and right and wrong? I hope so. Yeah, I do too. I hope he's
1: not causing <laughs> problems. If you dig the music you hear on the show, you can follow our soundtrack playlist on Spotify by searching for Matt Bomb's Spotify profile. It's not as scary as
0: it sounds. Nah. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to Keith and Silva, who managed to sneak an introduction in the pages of the massive Volume 5 trade paperback without telling anyone. I demand to know what's going on there, Keith. He's boyfriends with Brian Wood. You didn't even bring it up. That's ridiculous. Word to you, Silva. Until next time, true believers. You jerk. Remember to pre order your comics because your retailer just might have to skimp on their big gay wedding if you don't. This is the Two Headed Nerd. Not everybody knows this. All comic retailers. Gay. The whole business. I don't know if you knew that. Signing off! It was a banner day, let me tell you.